happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Great Quarter Gals. This is our show here on Freight Waves where we talk about all incredible female leadership in freight. Today, we're staying a little bit close to home, and I'm excited to get into this episode. But first things first, I'm Kaylee Nix here with my partner in crime for Tuesday afternoons, Grace Sharkey. Hello, partner in crime. Happy Tuesday. Almost said Wednesday, and that's where that's where this is today. So <laughs> we're thinking <laughs> a day ahead. We're thinking yeah, a day ahead exactly. already. It's, it's it's crazy. It feels like it's been such a long week already. It's only Tuesday afternoon, but we've already had some really great news stories come out this week and through, throughout these last few weeks, honestly. Today, our guests, we're going to talk about spearheading these news stories here on Freight Waves because we've got our fearless editorial leader, Meg Scarborough, with us, and we're going to get into her mind all about leading our publication here at Freight Waves, mm-hmm. what it takes to be an incredible leader of a publication like this one, and really just kind of how we follow in her footsteps and under her leadership because she's great and we're so glad and so lucky to have her here. But Grace, before we get into our interview with Meg, let's talk a little bit about some news from this last week. Yeah, so uh, of course we started this week by hearing about the Heartland acquisition of CFI, which was incredible news. And funny as things turn out, uh, we just recently had a logbook uh, update about CFI and their focus on bringing more women into the industry, something that we all love around here and our audience loves to hear about. And they actually have an initiative program called She Drives CFI, where they recognize their top female performers um, who have driven for the company for a number of years, who have millions of safe miles behind them, which I love saying millions of safe miles because between you and I, uh, Grace Sharkey is nowhere near uh, 10,000 safe miles, let alone millions. Uh, so <laughs> uh, the points that are no longer on my license would express that. But uh, it's incredible to see that you guys just saw that picture of the newest CFI recognized driver, Penny Thomas. Uh, we have that photo of her and her sweet dog. Oh, look at her in the new truck, too. And it's it's bright pink. You're going to see this thing on the highway miles away. It has a custom She Drives CFI wrap on it. There's actually four of these out there right now. Now. And what's great is they take these trucks and they not only move loads of them, but they do take them to local events, to schools, to different parades and programs to just showcase uh, that women are a part of this industry. And it's it's a fun industry to be in, right? Like who wouldn't want their own truck uh, that's also expressed so brightly and positively? Why wouldn't you want to join the industry? They have over 4,000 women drivers in total, and that actually represents about 14% of the full driver. Uh, workforce. So uh, I'm really excited to see that. I just thought it was incredible timing to see that acquisition, of course, come into play as well. Uh, So uh, congrats to Penny over there. Uh, 1.6 million miles behind her. Uh, God only knows if any of us normal passenger drivers could get to that. Uh, But of course, congratulations to to Penny. Well-deserved and enjoy that truck. It's a beautiful color. You know, I'm going to take your honesty hour and double that and say that Kaylee Nix also does not even get close to 10,000 safe driving miles. And you know what, Ingrid Brown, if you're listening to this, do not give us heck for admitting our faults. You know, she she is on those million safe driving miles milestone, of course, too. And so, you know what, she would come back and she'd tell us, oh, girls, I need you to be a little bit safer. But Ingrid, don't hate us for it. Yeah, oh yeah, we're doing our best, Ingrid. We're doing our absolute best. Trust me, uh, it's the it's those blind spots, it's those those tough areas to look right. They really, they uh, really get me. Stop. Yeah, the rolling stops <laughs> get me. Those ones get me. 
That's for sure. <laughs> I, was, I will ooh. say, uh, I did a, a women in trucking. Uh, uh, they had an, uh, a trucking, what do you call it? Simulator. A simulator, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I won't hit you uh, as a person, but I will be driving recklessly slow. So uh, that's what I learned from that simulator for sure. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so Grace, let's switch gears a little bit and let's head back to the home of the Future of Supply Chain Conference, back to Fayetteville, Arkansas, also the home base of the University of Arkansas, the number one ranked supply chain program, according to Gartner. And they have a brand new shiny name, thanks to J.B. Hunt. Yes, they do. I mean, we should have almost saw this one coming with the amount of times that actually reported on them working together on different initiatives. I think that in total now, they've donated over $7 million towards the University of Arkansas. And I mean, you and I have got a chance to talk to Shelly. She's just absolutely dug in what that university is doing, uh, what their hometown is doing, really, to recognize not just uh, freight in school, supply chain in school, but the future of it. I think that's what gets me excited is someone as forward-thinking as J.B. Hunt partnering with the university. All that means is you're going to get a really incredible supply chain program out of there, uh, and you're going to learn from the best. I imagine what interns and different uh, classes are going to be able to learn bringing in people from J.B. Hunt. So yes, uh, last two Thursdays ago, uh, the CMM Malton College of Business Undergraduates uh, Integrated Supply Chain Program is now called the J.B. Hunt Transportation Department of Supply Chain Management. So incredible honor. And it's uh, as someone who's close to their university, it's really great to see that uh, Shelly is making sure that the town that that they, their hometown in, their headquarters are in, is getting back to the university and and making a full a full spectrum of opportunities for even Arkansas as a whole and, and the area as a whole is incredible. And yeah, they've been partners for I think over uh, over five years now mm-hmm. and a total of seven million dollars. It's incredible and I'm excited to see how they grow, not just in the future supply chain, but also in their uh, in- inclusiveness, equity, and diversity programs that they've set up within the university as well. So congrats to Shelly over there. Big news. And again, one of those partnerships that was that always felt, felt bound to happen at some point. <laughs> Absolutely something that was a long time coming. So last week on Freight Waves Now, last Friday, we had Brian Will- or Brent Williams, that is, who is the Associate Dean of the Sam Walton School of Business, and Brian Fugate, who is a department head now of the J.B. Hunt Department of Supply Chain Management at the Sam Walton School of Business. Mouthfuls all around there. But we had both of them right, on Freight Waves Now to talk about this <laughs> and really what it means to the school. One of the things that they could not underscore enough is just how much of an opportunity this is for their students coming out of the supply chain management program. Because especially putting yourself up and setting yourself up for success in a town in a region like Northwest Arkansas, where you have access to J.B. Hunt, to Tyson Foods, to Walmart, there's a reason and a list of names why we had the future of supply chain there. They both mentioned that this absolutely gives their students an initial handshake to industry jobs, directly to industry connections, and gives them not only a forward path, but almost kind of like a slip and slide directly into those post-grad jobs, which is huge and hugely advantageous. Yeah, you know, so I was just going to say, the funny thing about college these days is it's almost more important what you do outside of the classroom and how involved you are with the industry you want to go to outside of the books. And that's why I really like this, because I, I can just imagine the internships, the connections that these students are going to be able to make. And then when they come in and they're applying for jobs, whether it's not directly just going into JB or someone else in the industry, 
geez, what a, a powerful internship to, to point out. Um, that's going to be actually number one in, in interviews from employers when they see that on a resume. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we loved speaking to both Brian and Brent. Of course, we had the Dean of the St. Walton School of Business, Matt Waller, headline several of our fireside chats at the Future of Supply Chain. Yeah. If you missed any of those fireside chats from back in May, or if you missed Friday's episode of Freight Waves Now, you can head over to tv.freightwaves.com and find that content on demand. It's definitely something that you don't want to miss. If you're ever in Fayetteville, go check out the University of Arkansas too. Their campus is pretty cool. Yeah, it was a beautiful area as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So Grace, we've pattered on now for about 10 minutes. Let's get into our guest with us this afternoon. We've got Meg Scarborough with us, who is our almost newly minted editor-in-chief. She's been here with us for a couple months now. Meg, you come to us from the outside publishing world, from the Times Free Press here in Chattanooga, to working for Craig Fuller at Flying Magazine, managing editing over there, to now joining us here at Freight Waves. We're glad to have you because the wealth of knowledge and experience is just unparalleled. I'm really excited to be here. It's It's been an awesome two months so far, actually almost three months now. So it's good to be here. And thanks for having me here today. Absolutely. It's crazy how fast the time flies once you get into this freight ecosystem, right? They talk about like freight moves at the speed of light. Covering freight also kind of moves at the speed of light. Before <laughs> you know it, I've been here for almost two years. Grace has been here for now a year and a half. You're coming up on three months. But talk to us a little bit about kind of your journey into publishing, the walk into journalism. Yeah, it actually, I mean, it started in college, but I didn't initially go to college for journalism. I started out as a nursing degree. Total flip-flop. Yeah. And I got, I, three, <laughs> yeah, I got three years in and um, just thought this isn't, this isn't going to be a good fit for me. And I'd always loved writing. Um, it, it's always been a pastime of mine. And it was just seemed like a good chance to, to jump into a, a different career path. So I, I switched um, my major and wound up majoring in uh, journalism, communications, um, and got my first job while I was in college. But it was, it was kind of funny. Um, I, I was an agate clerk. So the football coaches would call in on late Friday nights with the football scores from all over. And I was the one who had to type them in and then design the, the agate page. The box scores. <laughs> yeah, or... box scores. So like, if anybody's listening who's ever done agate or read an agate page, they're probably feeling my pain on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's been eight hours designing one page. Uh, so that's really kind of how I, I started. Uh, but it took me to uh, Conyers, Georgia for a while and uh, 10 years in Hawaii before I made it back wow. to Chattanooga. So yeah, it's good to be back home. So, that's incredible. I'm sorry that the weather isn't as great as it is in Hawaii. I would <laughs> I tempted to just stay there even longer. Um, but for you, what was the jump like going from Flying Magazine, uh, another you know publication that Craig's part of, but and owns, but to Freight Waves in, in this ecosystem? Is it are they the, about the same setup, or is it is reporting on freight set up a little bit differently than what you've worked in the past? Yeah, so I was at Flying Magazine for a year, and Flying's been around for I think almost ninety-seven years now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's been around for a minute, and but Craig bought it last summer, and I came on board with that team, and, and it's a smaller team right now as far as the newsroom goes. Um, not as many, not as many people. Um, but covering aviation was a lot of fun. Um, it's it's funny because before I went to Flying, I was working for a um, Flying magazine or flying, not flying, flooring magazine. So now I've got flooring, flying, and freight. 
the three F's of publication. Yeah. The three F's. Yeah. So, Meg, it's you've made some several jumps. You were also here at Times Free Press, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. covering just kind of the local journalism beat. And every time you move to a new publication, obviously your audience changes. Who's checking out your news changes? How you're writing changes based on your audience perception. And as an editor, it can really take a lot of hard work to get to know your audience and to get to manage your pool of writers to cater to that audience. What type of research and work do you do stepping into each of these roles to make sure that you're set up and you're setting up your writers for success? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if you look at the different publications I've worked for from, you know, suburban Atlanta to Hawaii to the flooring industry, B2B to, you know, here, um, it's all, it is all about audience and, and understanding who your audience is. And I think when I look back, you know, to my career 20 years ago in, in a legacy print publication, before the internet, we didn't really have a way to know who our audience was. We, mm-hmm. we made assumptions about who they were and we made news judgments around that based on what we thought they would want to read. But then now we've got all these different ways to measure that through analytics. And um, so we, we have a better snapshot of who we can, you know, who our audience is. And we found out that, you know, over time that some of our assumptions weren't right. We maybe were writing stories that weren't of value to people. Mm-hmm. So it really does take, you know, when you're going into a different market, taking that assessment, you know, looking at the, the numbers and figuring out who are we writing to. And I think as journalists, we, we have to keep, you know, we have to remind ourselves of that from time to time because it's it can sometimes be easy to kind of slip out and, and not remember who we are, you know, who our people are. So yeah, definitely looking at those numbers every day. Yeah. And I, I, it's funny you bring up the technology side of it. I can't, I'm, I'm new to this. As with Mike started, I'm like, I'm very new to this. So pardon my grammar. But uh, I can't even imagine doing this job without internet. That's absolutely insane. I tell Clarissa that all the time. How would you even go about this? So uh, I, I sometimes wish I could go back in time and feel that pain and learn from that a little bit more. Uh, but one thing that's interesting here is that transportation is a whole trillion dollars a market, right? And more than that, seven times more than that. And uh, it's huge. There's so many different topics we can cover from ocean to technology. And even technology, you have uh, point of sale systems and and everything in between. How do you manage such a large, larger pool of writers that have such a range of beats? What are the challenges of overcoming that and managing that? Yeah, it is something that, you know, we, we talk about every day. I mean, and it does come down to that audience and, and understanding, you know, the stories that we write, who are, who are we trying to reach and um, really kind of um, having lots of conversations every day about the, the topics that we're writing on. And um, I'm not sure if I answered that question, but. I think, I think that's, I think that's a good answer. It also has to do almost like, like we're in the business of communication, right? And I, I'm with you. I was start, started off not in communications, added a communications minor in college. And so I've, I like to say that I've been working in the industry now for eight years because I participated in the college publication for four years, have been now in my journalism career for four years. But it, it is a lot of communicating about the communications business. <laughs> and I like to joke yeah. around that sometimes people in communications are the worst communicators. It's, I, I think about yeah. it every day. You know, it is one of those things that it's like the communicators aren't really good at communicating. 
So, yeah. and as Grace mentioned, there, there are yeah. so many different topics to explore, right? We write about different things every single day. As she said, some of the good ones from ocean to point of sale to technology. I think about earnings. I think about fuel. John Kingston's here in the building somewhere. He's roaming around, probably talking to someone about oil and gas, right? But I think about all these different <laughs> topics and just getting into freight myself a year and a half ago. It, it is fascinating. There are so many aspects of this industry that are just so interesting to learn about. Has there been one topic that you've seen stick out to you so far? And if so, what is that? What else would you like to learn a little bit more about? Well, to back up to your um, to your other comment, one thing about newsrooms is, you know, we have, we have beach structures. Mm-hmm. People have their lanes that they follow. But really, we have to kind of be fluid too sometimes and know that sometimes there's going to be more happening over in one area and it kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, and so... That, that's always, you know, one of those interesting challenges. But I think since I've been here, one of the more interesting topics um, has been AB5. Mm. So that's definitely, and that that was going on very early in my arrival, or not going on, but like the, the we were having some breaking news. Coming then, almost so. like the, the climax of the AB5 situation. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm coming in on the tail end of it, but, or not the tail, but coming into it after it's already been going on for a while. And it's been really fascinating to, to learn more about that issue. So. Would agree. That's something that still just kind of like mind boggles me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I would say to, to go back really quick to that communication statement you made and to almost uh, help your answer, Meg, what I appreciate working with you on, and I think it's funny because the communication comment, I will say like, oh, there's a lot of people that I feel like are incredible writers here, but they aren't the best communicators is you and a lot of people at Freight Waves are really good listeners. And I think sometimes in order to capture the story and to capture the true message of what Freight Waves is trying to relay is listening to the people that we're reporting on fully to their problems, to whatever issues are happening, to even the technology providers that I talk to. Okay, listening to who's the actual customer you're aiming for. So it's, uh, I will say, uh, working with you, Meg, I think that's what you're really, really incredible at is listening to all of us and, and say, not just saying, hey, I think that's a good story, but why do you think that's a good story and, and having us almost dive into that further. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that on there. Well, too. thank you. It, well, the learning, uh, learning has been a, or the listening has been a learning process. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's, being an editor in general over the years has taken many forms for me and, and my my process has changed over the years um, or my approach. But listening has definitely been something that I've tried to work on because that's really crucial. Yeah, I, I will yeah. say that is hand up a weak point for mine, right? Like I'm sitting here talking all the time, but I've, I've got to work better on listening to the people that I'm yeah. talking to. So that is half the battle. And Meg, let's go back to that audience question that we were talking about earlier, because audience perception of supply chain and freight in general has changed a ton. We talk about how supply chain has become a dinner table conversation over the last two years, right? Mm -hmm. People who didn't understand what freight was, why it mattered so much, the fact that it is such a huge part of the U.S. GDP and U.S. economy are now having these real-life conversations around well, why are my groceries more expensive? Because freight's more expensive. Why can I not get my package from Amazon in two days and it's taking 12? Well, because you don't have a driver to support your package drop-off anymore. And they've become a lot more in tune, I think, with what supply chain is doing. Do you think that there has been kind of this 
general reaction from an audience to a supply chain perspective? And as an editor-in-chief, do you see an opportunity to capitalize on some of that captured attention now? Yeah, well, so to back up, for, for me, I lived in Hawaii for 10 years, and that's when I first became acutely aware of supply chain because, <laughs> you know, every Tuesday, you know, Matson came in with, you know, everything. Here comes the big boat. <laughs> yeah, the big boat would come in. Um, and I lived right in Hilo Bay, so I got to see the, see it come in. And mm-hmm. um, But then it was, you know, moving back to the mainland and how quickly I forgot. Um, so the past few years have definitely, you know, like you said, it's become a, a topic of discussion around uh, dinner tables. And I, I do think there's an opportunity that, you know, at Freightways, we have an amazing staff of experts who, you know, really, really, really know how to target our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also a time, too, that we can take a look at the general population and say, how can we translate what we're saying to, you know, our core audience? How can we translate that to a broader audience um, beyond what, you know, mainstream media might be doing? Uh, because we do such deep analysis. But mm-hmm. how can we make that relatable, you know, on a, to everyone? Yeah, I think that's uh, over the last uh, six months or so, I'd say that's something I think that we're all doing really well as a whole from your help, from Rachel's help, from just even gauging how the mainstream media is touching on certain topics and exploring it from a different angle. It's just absolutely incredible. And uh, it's funny, we just talked about between the four of our three of us, Rachel, all these amazing women here at Freight Waves. That's what, another thing I love. We just organically, and we just keep bringing them in. I would say that. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Look at like all just the three of us right now and the work that we do for this and um, how you know privileged we are compared to the industry as a whole. Right. And uh, that being said, that's why we really love doing the show, Megan. I'm interested from your career, how women have influenced your growth and if you've had mentors or anyone that's helped bring you up to, to the point that you're, you're here now. I have been really fortunate to have some amazing women in my life and amazing women as leaders in my life. And um, especially from the Times Free Press, the editor there, Allison Gerber, and um, the um, opinion editor, Chris Bass, have been pretty instrumental in, in my growth as, as a leader over the years. Um, they've, they've taught me a lot about patience and listening and in, in having that, um, having that sort of support has just really meant a lot to me. Plus I have a lot of really amazing peers who we've grown up in journalism together. And now, you know, we might be separated across the country, but they're leading newsrooms in different places and to have those shared experiences and to be able to lean on each other when we, you know, run into something we haven't seen before. How are you handling this in your newsroom? Um, It's been really important to me, but also outside of having peer journalists, um, making sure that I network within my city, uh, joining other business organizations to to meet other women who are leading organizations in Chattanooga. And so, you know, finding out how, how they're running things. And so, yeah, it's been, it's really... I don't think I'd be where I am without without that kind of support. I love that. I think that you answered you answered our last question without us even having to ask it for you. That last question was going to be what do you what advice do you have to young women looking to advance their journalism careers? Get out and network, build yeah. your network early, and keep up with it often, right? Absolutely. And, and even in Chattanooga, there are young professional organizations, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of you know that that you can join. But there's also a lot of ways that you know, youth people who might even be in high school still can interact with 
business people in their cities so that they can kind of get a, a jump start. So I highly recommend. Well, Meg, we are so happy to have you here. And as Grace said, so excited to add another female face to Freight Waves. I, we need to do a head count because I think just in our media side, editorial and, and video, I think we're up over 10 now. And I think you add in sales marketing and that we're, we're easily probably at least a third of Freight Waves is female. So we need to count and report on some stati yeah. statistics on that, Grace. Yes. I'm writing HR now. So. <laughs> dear, dear Heather, let's talk about community yeah. engagement through our females in freight. Well, Meg, thank we you. need a statistic for Great Quarter Girls. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with us again today, Meg. We appreciate your leadership in the newsroom and it's great to have you with us. Thank it would you. be honored to have you back again anytime. And Grace, so let's continue just to keep this train on rolling. What's going on tomorrow for you for Point of Sale? Uh, we actually have a rerun tomorrow for point of sale, uh, but uh, we have some really incredible executives coming up in the next couple of uh, weeks looking at different areas within automation, uh, areas within uh, clearly retail and some of the providers behind their point of sale and uh, websites as well. So we got a lot of stuff there. And of course, checking out every day, Monday through Friday on the Road Dog Trucking channel. Uh, tonight, we'll have Thomas on with us as always. And Wednesdays, Mary O'Connell joins me as well. And and so, yeah, hit up your uh, Sirius XM channel 146, uh, 5 to 7 o'clock. If you haven't started hashtagging Thomas Tuesdays, you absolutely need to do that. Hashtag yes, Thomas, Thomas Tuesdays. Tuesdays are <laughs> wassisms. Wah, wah. He always brings a wassism. <laughs> always a wassism. All right, Grace, great episode as always today. We will catch you guys next week for our next episode of Great Quarter Gals. Have a great Tuesday, and I'll see you tomorrow. One, two, three.